The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. Well, now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Police Box at the Junkyard podcast. I'm your host, Eric Branson. Uh, with me this week and every week in the TARDIS are uh, Saad Keski and Matthew Kressel. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. I'm doing alright. Good. And hello to everyone from Karachi, Pakistan. Yeah, coming, uh, coming in from way across the world. We made him get up really early in the morning to join us this time, but... <laughs> As Adele would say, hello from the other side. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a little timey-wimey. I mean, it's like, uh, it's Friday here already. So. No, that's right. Coming to you live from the future. <laughs> How are the flying cars and the jetpacks? <laughs> Disappointing. Disappointing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what's new with you guys? Uh, anything... Any news? Anything going on besides world travel, obviously? But I liked uh, you. I was uh, intrigued by you had both shared the link on the uh, on our Facebook page as well about the forthcoming uh, audio adventure stuff with Jodie Whittaker and a few other characters from Modern Who. And yeah, Sarah that adventures. So kind of caught me by surprise. I kind of came out of nowhere, and I was. Uh, Kind of surprised to see the BBC dipping their toe back into audio adventures, but uh, I thought that was kind of a thing that they... Well, well, we just talked about a couple months back that uh, Audio Go, um, Destiny of the Doctor series, and that was kind of a big... I don't know if I'd call it a disaster, but I know it was a rough thing <laughs> putting it together for them, and I think that, that, was, that was kind of the end for that, but uh, looks like they're going to try it out again, which is cool. It's welcome, obviously, but... Yeah, I mean, Audio Audio Ghost Successor, whatever it's called, because I could never get the name of it straight. I mean, they've been doing original Doctor Who, like short audiobooks things. I know there's been a whole strand that Paul Mars has been writing, dealing with various companions and whatnot, um, including one with Ian and Barbara called London 1965 that's been getting rave reviews and I really should get around to listening to. It hmm. does surprise me because this is going to be a podcast so it's available free for everybody to listen to. I am genuinely surprised that things have gotten as far as they have in the world of podcasting. And Doctor Who has just now gotten on board with doing some kind of an official thing. It's very much been a, a very much a fan thing up until now, as evidenced by, say, police yeah. box in a junkyard. <laughs> yeah, we're we're ahead of the curve. We got yeah, we because of course we were the very first Doctor Who podcast ever to be created. <laughs> <laughs> The you know, one thousandth and first, or maybe probably way more than that. So, but <laughs> we are not actually Radio Free Scar, not even close. So, 
It's nice that it'll be free since uh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of these other ones like Wolverine and all have all been uh, behind uh, yeah paid paid walls. Yeah. Although they're also like narrative podcasts, so to speak. <laughs> I'll have to check no, out that Paul one. Um, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing for them to to be doing. So um, I'm excited about that. Of course, we we also have a Easter special coming up uh, this mm-hmm. weekend. Um, guys, feeling uh, any excitement about about that? Seeing the new trailer? Anything? Any thoughts about the Easter special? I mean, the Sea Devils are back. Come on, how can you not be a classic kook geek and be excited? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, the trailer looks fun. So yeah, we'll see what the uh, episode is like. I'm not sure if I'll, when I'll be able to get around to seeing it. But uh, and I don't know if it's streaming here on uh, anything. So, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun, hopefully. Yeah, if you're, let me know if you're stuck and can't find it. I'll find a way to get you a copy of it or something. But you know, all above board, of course. But of course, or, yeah. Or have you log into my AMC Plus and watch it there? I think it's going to be on there. So, yeah, uh, these uh, they they are, do tend to be like location sensitive, so I don't know if oh, right. AMC You're gonna... is accessible yeah. here. You'd have to have a VPN, so, and yeah, who even knows you can yeah. get it? That's yeah, true. I'm, I'm sure. yeah. But anyway, I mean, the only yeah. thing I guess Police about spot, yeah. thing is that um, again, there's I I feel that there's still a lot of questions that. May or may not need to be answered, but I'd like them to be answered before Jody and Chibnall end their run. And if you've got a story that already seems to be stuffed with sea devils and historical Chinese pirates and all sorts of stuff, I don't know if we're going to be addressing anything. So, which will just leave the finale to <laughs> yeah. wrap things. <laughs> I'm torn about it. Yeah. Like where I agree with you, I want to see some of these mysteries, you know, that we've been proposed with or given uh, resolved. I also kind of just want a big, you know, big pirate adventure with sea devils sounds like a lot of fun. And I could just deal with, you know, letting the continuity slide to whatever's next and have a fun Easter special. But no, I go either way. Just go and have a good time, hopefully. But, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that big continuity points have been left hanging for big finish or somebody else to go resolve decades down the road either. So, yeah. Yeah, that recent interview I read, and I can't even quote where it was, but Chris Chibnall was kind of being self-deprecating and saying that he kind of expects, you know, the new RTD era to throw ever throw all of his stuff out, and or just totally forget it happened. So I think he's right, but more in the latter. I don't think they'll throw anything out, but I think they will just move on. Um, so, so yeah, it's just hopefully they resolve it because that's it's the last chance. I think. <laughs> so. yeah. Until yeah. Big Finish picks it up, of course. I think it was Radio yeah. Times. <laughs> was it? Yeah, I know. I knew it was like a reputable source. I was, you know, it wasn't the Mirror or something that. Yeah, well. We got mm. this covered. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else in the world, Doctor Who, that's uh, on your mind or got you guys excited, or have you been reading or listening to? Well, I've just finished um, over the weekend listening to Stranded 4, uh, finally finishing off that strand, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> of Eighth Doctor Audios at Big Finish. Um, and just genuinely very pleased with how that turned out. I mean, Stranded's probably my favorite Eighth Doctor run in 
quite some time, maybe going back to that very first Dark Eyes set. And it's just, mm. you know, it was four box sets of, you know, of really enjoyable stuff. And I think that they really delivered on this kind of idea of sticking them in a version of 2020. And, you know, there's a – John Dorney wrote what turns out to be the last episode of the set, and it's actually set properly – in 2020 with them having to deal with lockdown and everything else. And it's, it's a very sort of bittersweet epilogue for it, but I, you know, I do highly recommend it for anybody who's not heard stranded at all. And of course we also have, uh, having just come out, uh, the new first doctor set with, I think it's Stephen Noonan, who's, uh, going to be one of big Finish's first doctors. There's going to be multiple first doctors running around at big finish, which is kind of fun. Um, and I'm about three quarters of the way through the first story on that, and it's it's pretty good. It's taking some getting used to with Noonan because he's got a lot of Hartnell's uh, mannerisms and whatnot down, sort of the you know the the hmm and all of that. Um, but he's his voice is I think pitched a little too high, so it's it's gotten some very Marmite reactions on Facebook at least. But it's been an interesting set so far. Yeah, what what volume are they on? For this is the fifth or sixth volume of first doctor well it's it's that's where things get fun because they've stopped numbering things um oh right as, that's right yeah they dumped the i think we out. talked about it in the last episode did, they did yep. some marketing stuff they had done um but there's actually going to be two different first doctor stands so there's going to be david bradley's apparently going to keep going but he's going to be with the adventure in space and time cast uh doing ian barbara and susan and apparently Stephen Noonan's now going to be doing audios later in the First Doctor's timeline with Dodo. So hmm. it's – they've basically – they've got two different First Doctor strands going, all under the First Doctor adventures. But I guess it's also part of the reason why they've stopped numbering things. Yeah, I think that probably helps in the long run. It sounds like it doesn't, but it, it sounds like a terrible idea to like a – you know, someone who's a bit obsessive about collecting things, but – um but yeah, I think in the end, you're right. I think it's uh, it's probably a stroke of genius to get rid of the numbers instead of trying to make any sense out of where all this fits together. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you, Asad, anything new in Doctor Who-wise you've been checking out, or, or anything really that? Um. No, nothing. Uh, nothing that I've uh, come across uh, or been listening to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have anything either. This. Uh, the only thing that I've done recently is the one we're going to talk about tonight, or the couple of things we're going to talk about tonight. So, And now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With the popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. 
we also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. Without any further ado, we should dive right into it. So the uh, the novel that we are going to talk about this evening is the, or novella, I should say, uh, is The Cabinet of Light by Daniel O'Mahony. And this was a, the I believe, the last of the Telos Doctor Who novellas. Um, and also the first, Coincidentally, the first in what was going to become a series of novellas by Tele, published by Telos called uh, the Time Hunter series. Um, we, uh, Asad and I, covered a Time Hunter book a few months back called The Child of Time, which happens to be the conclusion to the series. So we did this in backwards time. <laughs> we, we read the conclusion, and now we're going back and seeing where this whole thing uh, started off. Um, so yeah, this was a uh, Telus Publishing released this as a hardback novella in July of 2003. Uh, it was reprinted um, recently, uh, in 2010, I think, and and then again as a, a uh, print-on-demand book through Amazon um, with a new cover and with uh, the mentions of the TARDIS and the, the Doctor being removed from the book. Um, they call the doctor dr smith and and such just to avoid uh crossing copyrights with uh the bbc so yeah i uh, will say eric this was not i just brought it up on tardis wiki because i went this couldn't have been the last one and it wasn't it was actually smack dab in the middle of the range oh was it okay yeah i don't know where i'm getting i got that from That's, yeah the uh, the very last this was published as you said in july 2003 the last one was uh simon clark's the dalek factor which was published in march 2004 oh okay Never mind, scratch that. Yeah, thanks for um, catching that. I don't know where... I don't actually see it in front of me, so maybe I just made it up, but... Yeah. Anyway, Hand in um, your dirt card, sorry. sir. 
Yes. <laughs> I've been <laughs> fired from. I'll see you guys later. Have fun. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, a quick synopsis of the Cabinet of Light um, from the blurb on the back of the book. Where is the doctor? Everyone is hunting him. Honoré Lechisseur, a uh, time-sensitive fixer who is hired by a mystery woman, Emily Blandish, to find him. Lechisseur discovers that the Doctor is, in fact, a semi-mythical figure who has appeared off and on throughout Earth's history. But what is his connection with London in 1949? And why is a mysterious group seeking the Cabinet of Light, a device somehow connected with the Doctor? Lechisseur is about to discover that following in the Doctor's footsteps can be a difficult task. So doesn't really give us a whole lot of the uh, <laughs> details there, but I guess that's good for a back-of-the-book blurb. Um, so, yeah, this uh, it's an interesting, um, interesting book and not exactly what I expected having read one of the books in the series later on. It's certainly got a little bit different tone, in my opinion, from the way that George Mann and uh, David Howe ended the series. I don't know anything about the books in, in between that occurred in between. But um, it's a bit of an oddball for a Doctor Who novel, for sure. Um, it's got a lot going on. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, characters and a lot of kind of bizarre... Um, it's not even like bizarre alien uh, creatures or anything like that, but bizarre characters that you run into in situations. So kind of plays out a little bit like a like a noir detective story, or at least starts in that, in that uh, kind of mode. Um, our main character, as mentioned in the synopsis, uh, Honoré Lechisseur, is a American, uh, a black American who was a um, veteran of World War II, who was very badly injured and recovered and decided to stay in London uh, after uh, recovering from his injuries. And has kind of taken a job as a kind of black market, what he calls a fixer, but he's a little more like a you-need-something-he'll-find-it kind of guy. Um yeah, and that's where it kind of gets him into these uh, the situation where he's hired to you know track down the doctor, and he also throughout his life has had kind of an interesting um, relationship with, uh, and he doesn't know he doesn't exactly know or have, have words um, at the towards the beginning of the story of what exactly it is, but sometimes he gets these impressions when he like makes contact with somebody and can kind of essentially see into their future, their past, you know see some kind of like trajectory for for people so um yeah so any any thoughts just um kind of kind of just get us started uh on the general plot um what, what's your initial thoughts on this book it's the best dr light episode that's never been made for tv i'll say that i'll say that yeah. from the beginning because that's what it reminded me of actually while i read it i kept thinking it's like blink in that it's a story that's about the Doctor Who universe and about the Doctor rather than really featuring the Doctor to a strong extent. This is what it's like to live in the Doctor Who universe, or at least one very small portion of the Doctor Who universe. And, you know, my favorite film is The Third Man, which is a, a film noir that was made in Vienna in 1949. So, and it's about a lot of the same kind of fixers and black marketeers and all of that. So mm -hmm. this was like catnip to me, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> and I think that pretty much covers anything that I had to say. It's, it's a Dr. Light episode, and it's like just totally drenched in the whole noir tropes kidnappings mm -hmm. and uh, dames in distress and uh, 
you know, people getting knocked out and waking up in other places. And yeah, so everything's out there. Yeah, it's, uh, Nazi magicians, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 got a cool like the the noir thing definitely works. And I was thinking the same thing about it being um, a Doctor Light episode is that it's really about you know, kind of being stuck in the world of Doctor Who, but you're not traveling in time. You're not the Doctor's companion. It's kind of like the way, I mean, the, like they did in those Doctor Light episodes, the way that the Doctor kind of runs in and out of people's lives and kind of the chaos that ensues around him. <laughs> you know, you might not see when you're standing right next to him or you're traveling in the TARDIS or whatever. Um, it is a bit darker than what i would say is you know you would see on doctor who television but i think that's very much in the trend of what was going on in doctor who uh prose at least um and it, this is 2003 so the the virgin novels have wrapped up a while back the bbc books i think are still in swing at this point i'm sure matthew you have a little bit of a better timetable on that than me but yeah, the Virgin books were well and truly over by this point because the license had lost in 97 and uh, Dying Days had been published in kind of um, so late summer 97. So this was well into the BBC books territory. It's that really interesting point in the wilderness years where the TV movie is aired. It's a few years on from that. The BBC Eighth Doctor books are, are trying to reinvent themselves by giving the Doctor amnesia and blowing up Gallifrey. Um, so that's really kind of where it is. And I think that it's one of those interesting artifacts from that period where everybody was trying to put their stamp on what Doctor Who was going to be in the 21st century um, before Doctor Who arrived fully formed in a flame <laughs> in the 21st century a couple of years right. down the road. Um, so it, that's kind of the context of this in many ways. It's And that's the thing is everybody's trying to put their stamp on it. Everybody's trying to figure out what it's going to be. And it doesn't surprise me that, you know, uh, Daniel Mahoney looked at it and went, you know what? I'm going to do a Doctor Who film noir story. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's never been done before this. In fact, I'm sure in the plethora of novels that somebody had kind of touched on this. But this is the first thing like this that I've read that really felt authentically noir like like, mm. like he definitely took the influence from you know the films of the era set it set it right in that era and just just went with that uh feeling right down to you know um just the characters and situations i feel like it's just yeah it's 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 really spot on i think one thing that's kind of interesting and maybe i mean i think this it adds an element of maybe unexpected uh interest with by removing everything that's Doctor Who related is that the Doctor and um, the Cabinet essentially become like one of those MacGuffins that you don't really know what they are and why they are. It's just that everybody's after them. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously, when the Doctor is there, you know who the Doctor is. But if you look at this in a non-Doctor Who context, it's like, um, I don't know who Doctor Smith is or why he or what he does. and But, you know, there he was and he disappears at the end. So. Yeah, it's it's a bit with the ceremonies and stuff. It reminded me of a, a movie HBO did in the early 90s called To Cast a Deadly Spell, where they basically meshed uh, Lovecraft with uh, a lot of the noir stuff. Um, mm -hmm. For those who haven't seen it, it is wonderful. And it's got David Warner playing the villain and Julianne Moore in one of her first roles. And this is mm -hmm. kind of what it reminded me of is let's take all the tropes of noir and mash it into something that has no business being a noir. And it, and it works far, far better than it has any right to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that was kind of one of the next things I wanted to talk about was um, Daniel Mahoney's um, prose or the writing. I felt was like was really strong, and I think that's one of the things that that keeps this holds this book together. Because, like I said, there's a lot of, like you said, that it, it's it's a lot of really kind of out there things that are maybe don't belong uh, in 1949 in a film noir, but it totally works because he's so dedicated to the idea. Like it, it just it, I don't know, it stays on track the whole time and. You know, you buy these characters like uh, Mestizer and Abraxas being in this in this setting. Um, Abraxas essentially a a Bane type character, as I kind of imagined him almost, and and not not like the good you know Bane from the page of the comics. Maybe a little more similar to the Bane from the Joel Schumacher film, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I thought it was really really well done, and in fact. Uh, um, in places uh, among one of my favorite um, right off the bat, one of my favorite Doctor Who novels that I've read, um, at least prose wise. I'm not sure the story is going to going to end up being my favorite of all time, but I thought it was just really, really well written. It was a page turner. It was really easy to get through. It's not long in the first place, but yeah. um, what do you guys think? Any thoughts on O'Mahony's writing? Like you said, it's well written. So, yeah, I mean, it's a novella, so it's not going to have the same amount of depth and characterization and all that as a lot of uh, other things. But, but yeah, overall, it's a pretty good read. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think to some extent the fact that it's a novella and the fact that it only runs 120-odd pages, so it's basically the same length page-wise as, as a Target book. Mm-hmm. But there's there's so much that's packed into it. And I actually highlighted a couple of pieces of Mahoney's prose um, just because I wanted it. There's a wonderful description of Abraxas from towards the end of the book that says where he's just where it says he stank of oil and musty dinosaur hide. <laughs> and it was yeah. just like, wow, because <laughs> it, it's yeah. a piece it's it. it out of context, it probably sounds utterly ridiculous. And I have to admit, I sat there going, what does dinosaur hide smell like? Yeah, it's it's such a good way to, to do that because it's exactly what your brain does. It goes, oh, like, I feel like I can kind of imagine that. But at the same time, like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's no, just... I, I found myself wishing I had highlighted some pros because I'm going praising here and I don't have anything to quote right in front of me. But... Um, but yeah, I, I was very impressed with uh, a good amount of it. I, if if I had to nitpick, I think it it at times is a, a little bit too packed with stuff where he'll he, it'll be really strong and I feel like he has to kind of rush a little bit to get to the next you know plot point. And I don't know if he had a page count that he um, you know maximum that he he had to deal with here. Um, I know all of the I mean that they were novellas, so I'm sure they needed to keep it under a certain word count, but. Yeah, there's just there's a couple of odd moments in it, like where, where at least I was sitting there going, "What is that about?" Like, there's at one point when um, Leicester comes across these these three aliens who are dressed up in Time Lord robes <laughs> or something that's described like Time Lord robes, mm-hmm. and it's and it's there and it's gone, and it's like, what was that all about? The entirety of the yeah, that kind of like towards the climax of the book where he um, goes into Mestizer's mansion or whatever it is is pretty bizarre and i think it's intentionally bizarre and kind of like um you know mind bending in a way because it's kind of insinuates that it's you know she's basically 
built or come acquired or whatever it is, some sort of a makeshift TARDIS of sorts that she's putting together. That house is not as it seems, you know, it's not a house. It's because he, you know, Lechester feels himself being displaced in time as he kind of walks through this place and he sees all this kind of like crazy stuff and almost like he's having visions in a way and this weird. Yeah. And that's, that's a very distinct moment with the time Lord um, robes and, yeah, he gets down into the guts of it, and it's like a machine, and it just sounds—it almost kind of sounds like they're building their own TARDIS, is what what I kind of made out of it. But yeah, the, the Doctor's TARDIS tied up in the TARDIS that they're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a Lovecraftian thing where he runs into those three creatures. I kind of thought that they were just more uh, designed things, like Abraxas was designed by Mestizer. I think uh, plot-wise, maybe the place where I got a little confused and I was wondering if I missed something was when uh, uh, Le Chasseur is able to use his time sensitivity to, for combat, So, which seemed to be something that sort of came out of the blue, unless, like I said, I missed something earlier. So. I agree. Well, he, he, oh, sorry, he, he went quickly from not really understanding what it was all about, having the doctor explain it to him, like, oh, you're, you're a time-sensitive, here's what that means to you know full-on being able to fight like without having the you know uh for lack of a better example the i know kung fu moment from the matrix like you know he doesn't really have that moment of like understanding or get you as the reader coming in to understand that he's one come to terms and two come to the abilities use the abilities in that way but yeah it's it's like that conversation with the doctor kind of flips a switch or something in him and he suddenly comprehends it which i Bought it at the time, but since we've mentioned it now, I am I'm starting to question it. Yeah, it's it works. It's okay. It just yeah. If you if you really start to dissect, it's kind of like well, that's a lot of a lot of progress there in a very short period of time, especially since it's like essentially chaos from the moment he from the moment he walks into that seance in uh in the magic parlor or whatever in the club, Inferno right. nightclub. Um, the rest of the book is just pretty much chaos, and, there, and it kind of feels like it from a reader standpoint a little bit, but not not to its detriment necessarily. It's still highly enjoyable, but it's yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, Luke Skywalker went from being on a farm to blowing up the Death Star in the space of like two days in story terms. Yes, true. <laughs> yeah, and then he's a, then he's a Jedi. Boom. Like, yeah. He was hitting anyway. womp rats with uh, in his in his T sixty five. That's that's the, it's like Chekhov's T sixty five. Yeah, yeah. So so as we mentioned before, this this story is the launch pad for a twelve, I believe twelve, um, twelve. I almost said issue uh, novella series of uh, books entitled Time Hunter. And this is essentially Time Hunter number zero because it was part of a different series. Uh, and then they launch uh, with a, a novel following, goes through to like book number. Um, I'm not sure of the numbering. I'm going to have to check. But number uh, 12, I think, was Child of Time that we read. Um, very so this very was... wibbly wobbly timey wimey of y'all. Yes, yes. We uh, so in context of a cabinet of light without, you know, having read Child of Time before, does this does this feel to you guys like a does it leave you wanting more? Is this does it a good launch pad for, you know, a, a new series? Are you in intrigued by these characters enough to to kind of follow them in their next steps or their next adventure? Does it work well as that? 
Yeah, I think that it works uh, well enough for that. I mean, uh, I think if I had been reading this whole thing and I had been expecting more answers about who Dr. Smith and what the relevance of the Cabinet of Light is by the time I finished Child of Time, I would have been quite disappointed. But <laughs> other than that, it's a, yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun enough uh, start, and especially since the next installments continue to not be very big. Uh, yeah. Thick books. It's certainly an easy enough thing to uh, get into and finish. Yep. Yeah. I wasn't around when you guys read Child of Time, so I came into this completely fresh and with really no expectations for it. And I have to say, as soon as I got to the back of the book, I clicked the link to take me to the Amazon page for the next book. Oh, good. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, it, it was it was definitely something where I was intrigued and went, okay, I know this is a series, and I know there's going to be a resolution at some point. Um, so I, I am very tempted if, you know, when I can clear my schedule out a bit uh, and get the to-read list down, I'm very, very much wanting to go back and actually start reading this. Because it's, it's one of those series I've been aware of for a very long time, but I've never felt... I've never heard much about it to kind of know, have any kind of inclination mm -hmm. to want to go check it out. So, you know, this was a great way of discovering it. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like this one and the other book in the series we have read are stylistically um, different. Maybe not very different, but they're they're certainly distinct from one another. I feel like, and maybe it just kind of were it's, you know, each individual story. I wouldn't know else I read more of the series, but kind of has its own vibe to it or its own style. But I wouldn't say I got the strong noir uh, vibes from Child of Time that I got from this. Like, it was a very different kind of book, um, uh, which is fine. Not. I mean, I think a series should be able to do that. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, I, I feel the same way coming off of this. I, I, I am curious about what what exactly occurred, and especially knowing where the, where the ending is now, I feel like I want to fill in the gaps in between a little bit and just kind of see, uh, I really enjoy the, um, character of Honoré Lessature. I think he's a really distinct and great character in the world of Doctor Who, and I'm surprised more people don't talk about him. Um, like, like Matthew, you mentioned, you haven't really heard a lot of people talk about it. And I think that's true. Uh, unfortunately, this is something I've, you know, I we we sit in rooms and talk with you know large groups of Doctor Who fans, and I this is one I've just never really I've never really heard brought up, and uh, even in like spinoff panels and like you know all kinds of stuff. And Time Hunter when when we when we randomly selected the other Time Hunter book, um, it was the first time I think I'd ever really heard of it. Uh, I think I was vaguely aware that it was a Doctor Who novella, but I didn't know there was a whole series of these books, so. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd be interested to read more. It's uh... yeah. I think what kind of happened is is that this you know it came out in 2003 and the books kind of ran as I as I can kind of see from the TARDIS wiki you know they ran for a few years, and what kind of happened between about 03 and about 06 07 was the show came back. There was the big announcement that the show was going to come back, and I know Jason Hayellery has said that Big Finish's sales took a massive hit, like 25 percent drop in sales when it came back. And I know Lars Pearson, who ran, who runs Mad Norwegian Press, has said that the, the Faction Paradox book sales 
went downhill after that, around the time it came back, because it was kind of a feeling amongst a lot of, a, a big section of fandom that, oh, Doctor Who is back, we don't need all of these spinoffs and all of this stuff to kind of enjoy it, because, oh my god, the actual show's back. And it took a few years before, as, as Big Finish's continued success will kind of speak to, for a lot of those fans to go, you know what, these two things can kind of coexist, and fill in sort of the gaps between series. Um, and I think that this kind of fell, the series probably kind of fell into that kind of gap year, as it were, when everybody was just so focused on Modern Who coming back that everybody was kind of like, yeah, forget that stuff, which which is a crying shame. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. people people put all the time and energy into keeping it alive for all that time and <laughs> just to be forgotten. Yeah. No, but it does make sense. It, it's the attention. There's a. There's only so much of an attention span in the marketplace for something. And, and you know, with with Doctor Who coming back to television, that's probably eating up 99%. And then you have all these other little pro- properties fighting over that 1% of attention span they got left. Like, um, yeah. yeah, so... I mean, you end up with you end up with things which are really if you if you think about them and this is no disrespect to anybody, but they're a niche within a niche within a niche Mm -hmm. in some in some ways. And I think that, you know, once once all, as you said, all the attention in that niche is focused on the big part of that niche, the, (laughs) the the smaller kind of niches kind of die out. Yeah. And and it takes a special kind of Doctor Who, uh, you know, it it takes a a Doctor Who fan to watch TV and watch the TV show and watch everything and be into that. It takes an even different kind, you know, more obsessive or I'm not trying to like rank fandom in any way, but like a different type of fan that's going to even pick up a Doctor Who novel and even different kind of fan is going to pick up a Doctor Who novel that's a spinoff of a Doctor Who novel. So it's like (laughs) it's, you know, that many deep and, you know, whose attention. Yeah. Anyway, but it's, uh, yeah, so I want to take a few minutes and talk about this depiction of the doctor or Dr. Smith as we get in the, in the current prose version of the novel. Um, what I was curious to see what you guys made of it. He was supposedly intentionally created to be kind of a generic doctor. Like you couldn't, you couldn't really place him with one of the existing doctors and that he was kind of his own thing but they didn't they didn't contradict him being any specific doctor but uh they didn't go out of their way to make him you know he's not specifically supposed to be the eighth doctor he's not specifically supposed to be the seventh doctor um what did you guys think of the depiction of dr smith both both his description and you know the way he is as as the doctor and um just uh yeah like uh who did you who were you picturing when you were reading them, or was it all his own, its own character? In one of the websites said that he's maybe representative of the Scream of the Shalka Doctor with the mm-hmm. description of his uh, green coat and features. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think in Child of Time, I came away with a kind of uh, vision of either the third or the fourth Doctor. And in this one, I was mm-hmm. a little more a little more hard pressed to <laughs> put him into a particular doctor in mind, um, but the depiction I thought was pretty, uh, pretty doctor-ish, standard-ish. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think that he got uh, he got the characterization of it uh, fine. I think just the possibly even the most uh, 
interesting part of it was uh, at the end when the, um, uh, the the Nazi magicians his last words are that you know I want you to be rescued by the doctor. Yeah. Like, oh, that's yeah. something deep there. <laughs> uh, uh, so I have. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. I don't know. I was just saying I enjoyed the depiction in general. Yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, and because I, I kind of followed the kind of the dialogue more than I did anything else. And I have to admit, and this may be because, as I said, I was listening to Stranded 4. I heard McGann's voice in that, in kind of the speech patterns and the way he kind of talked. Um, but I think that there is an argument once I went because I got curious after I read the same description you did, Assad, about the Schalke doctor potentially and mm. went back and looked at it. And I went, I could see that. Um, yeah. It's a I think it's entirely coincidental because I don't think Scream of the Schalke had quite dropped yet when this had, had was written. And it kind of they pub, kind of big done the big publication thing. Th- there's a whole strand of I don't think Mahoney wrote it, but there were like three or four writers, Simon Clark, who I, I mentioned earlier, and the Dalek Factor did an unspecified Doctor too. I think that there were just a bunch because again, you know, the context of the, where we are in the wilderness era at this point, and everybody's trying to kind of steer the future to it um, to an extent. So it doesn't surprise me that oh, Mahoney may have sat down and went, you know what, I'm going to create my own Doctor for this. But I, I get I got very strong Paul McGann vibes off of this and i think a lot of it too is he's he does feel very doctorish but he's that sort of he's like as the time lord should be depicted in in my kind of feeling is he's sort of a very distant mountain range looming but you know you never quite see all of him and i think that's an interesting always an interesting way to depict the doctor and it's one of the things too that made me think of those doctor light episodes particularly blink because it's so Mm -hmm. much a story about him rather than featuring him um something one of the lines I, i highlighted was and i wish I'd remembered to mark who actually said it, but there's a great line that says, he's all appetite. He thinks he flits through the world, leaving no waste and no tracks behind him, but he does. You're stepping in them. And that's, that's just a wonderful description of the, of, of the doctor. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. I, I felt when we read child of time and Matthew, I know you, you hadn't read that, haven't read that one yet. Um, but I felt very, very similar to what you did of uh, uh, that being a Paul McGann um, doctor, like Dr. Smith's voice being very much Paul McGann's besides the chain smoking, which is even more prevalent in child of time. But um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, in this one, I got a little more of a seventh doctor vibe, not, not necessarily the description of him, but just the way he kind of, um, he, t- he talked in riddles a little bit, but you could tell that like the whole thing, Thing, that everything that was happening here from him being the person who hired Lechester, you know, turns out he's the one that hired Lechester. He's the one watching Emily. He's the one he's kind of got these plans inside of plans and has kind of orchestrated all of this. And um, you kind of even wonder if, uh, you know, how, how in the world these uh, these characters or these uh, villains even stole the TARDIS from him in the first place. If, or if, you know, if there's more we don't know about um how he was operating or what was going on here um so so yeah i I got a little bit of the seventh doctor vibe from him this time around um but yeah i I usually place like in my mind and this is just to make this is just probably the obsessive like continuity fan stuff that i that i do um and i 
I basically went, oh, this came out in 2003. Well, that's prior to uh, meeting the ninth doctor. So this is, this is Paul McGann, right? This is the eighth doctor. That's who I'm picturing. And then as he starts talking, like, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm not seeing that right. <laughs> like, but um, that's kind of who I who I expected to meet. But yeah, I read the same thing. I'm sure we all read the same <laughs> description about the Shalka doctor. And I'm like, yeah, I could see that too, actually. Um, didn't really get that as I was reading it, but it, it certainly kind of fits. It actually almost fits better than any of the other ones that I was imagining, but I mean, there is a whole thing in this about the doctor being kind of a mythic figure and mm -hmm. it kind of fits that the doctor in this is so nonspecific and is so much an amalgamation of really the first, there's elements of that first set of, of the first seven in there and particularly yeah. strong vibes, as we said, of McGann, but also McCoy, the smoking, which is the very beginning of the Hartnell era. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that in the story that treats the Doctor like a mythic figure, the Doctor would be this kind of ambiguous figure lurking in the background. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things about the story is that it is about the Doctor being a mythical figure. Like, even from that uh, first first uh, interview, the antiques, uh, whatever, the this historian slash antiques dealer or whatever, Simi, that he goes and visits. Yeah, Mr. Um, Sun's store. Yeah. Tells him all about, um, you know, the the doctor being he does it doesn't believe he doesn't believe he exists, but here's like you know he's this mystical figure that kind of flits in and out of time. Kind of reminds me of in the episode Rose, whatever the guy is, I'm forgetting his name, Clive. the character's name, Clive. Yeah, that's you know has the file on the doctor and shows Rose all the pictures of him throughout history, and uh, we get we get an interesting uh, retelling of the. Um, the caveman story from an unearthly child uh that's kind of trans transposed and the genders have kind of all been re everything's the opposite actually like the tribal leaders are female uh orb their god is not is the moon not the sun not it, but it uh but yeah it, 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 i think he actually he flips around uh susan and the doctor's roles in in kind of what's what happens in the story but um but just kind of I think it's just kind of telling us that, you know, mythology, history, word of mouth, none of it's to be trusted. You know, it all kind of gets flipped around. It does that on purpose. And it's it's really it's really cool. Like, I, I think the entire premise of, like, hiring this kind of P.I., you know, um, rough around the edges. He's not really a P.I., I guess not. But, you know, for all practical purposes, he is um, to go and track down this this mythical version of the doctor is such a cool premise it just yeah it, it got me into it right away and i'm i think that's what you know the whole book's good but i still i just like really love the the premise of that certainly the element of the that thing about the doctor's footprints and him not realizing and leaving chaos in his wake is certainly something that the new series went into quite a few times <laughs> yeah well, just the treatment of the TARDIS is the cabinet of light that the doors open and it's just this big blinding light is is very much, you remember, towards the end of season one, Boomtown and Parting of the Ways. You know, it, it in some ways it feels very odd that it kind of prefigures so much of modern Who in that regard. You have a, basically a Dr. Light story. You've got that kind of stuff in it as well. So it's 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 one of those things. It's one of those odd bridgeheads, but kind of between classic and modern. Yeah. I did I find um, some references that uh, actually, like Stacy uh, Smith question mark did have a discontinuity guide about uh, this book, so that has a lot of references to all the continuity references that pop up in in the book. So it's it's an interesting read to look at. 
Oh yeah, is that is that in one of her books or is it on the like the cloister it's library online. stuff that? It's online. It's on. Ah, uh... uh, where did I? <laughs> That's okay. Hey, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but yeah. Just because yeah. I I'm asking for myself because I'm yeah. interested in checking it yeah. out. But um, yeah, I would like to know. Answer, answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did find one interesting thing that uh, comes out of this doctor that it, it, it's it's this is not a, you know, light subject matter novel. It It is it is definitely dark. It's definitely serious about the noir vibes. It is it's violent uh, at times. It um, and there's one thing that just it, it, even with the doctor's depiction, he's a little bit of a, a darker depiction of the doctor, dark and mysterious in, in a couple of ways. Um, he does say one thing that I was a little I wouldn't say uncomfortable with. It's just different. Like it was a very dark way of. Um, he he does seem very genuinely upset about what happens to uh, um, Miranda, and that's uh, Miranda Sessions is a character that we meet uh, originally calling herself Emily Blandish, who ends up being a different character, but she's the person who initially hires um, Lechester to to track down the Doctor, or at least in his eyes, as the client that he's working for. Uh, turns out that her name is Miranda Sessions and she's been working, well, first of all, working with Eric Walken, who's the Nazi magician we keep uh, bringing up, and then um, somehow being kind of pulled out of that group and actually working as a somewhat, quote-unquote, companion with the Doctor um, a bit. And she meets her end uh, because uh, Abraxas comes to take her back to Messeser and is going to, you know, whatever, and rather be captured, rather than be captured by them, she takes her own life. And um, the doctor is disturbed by this. I mean, it's pretty obvious he's he's not unaffected by it, but he makes a comment that says, um, if only she would have trusted me, I would have been able to get her out of that situation or whatever. And it just seemed to put it in a like, pretty dark place. There's That's a pretty disastrous consequences for not trusting the doctor, you know, when uh, the doctor in this, in this context is, you know, perhaps not somebody you're going to dive in and be, you know, a hundred percent like trusting of right away is pretty dark, mysterious kind of speaks in riddles, certainly a quirky character like he always is. Um, so yeah, I just, just a comment more than anything. It didn't really bother me, but it's like that, this is pretty extreme consequences for not trusting. And the fact that the doctor even points that out, uh, that, you know, if only she would have trusted me, she wouldn't have ended up that way. It's like, well, that's a, it's a dark place to take it. <laughs> it is kind of in keeping with the kind of darker, the slightly darker, more cynical eighth doctor of the BBC books by that point. Because mm -hmm. especially after he'd lost, after the doctor, after McCann's doctor loses his memory in, in the books and spends a hundred years on earth, he sort of, the, the character kind of undergoes a change. It's, it's one of the reasons I've, I've never been entirely fond of the later books is yeah. it was kind of the eighth doctor wasn't entirely recognizable anymore. So, and you know, I kind of like to think in my own head canon, inverted commas, uh, that maybe <laughs> that's what this doctor, maybe who the doctor is in this one is kind of some alternate Paul McGann doctor somewhere down the road that doesn't really fit into the rest of continuity. I think it also kind of fits in with um, because I just uh, recently resaw the pyramids of Mars and the doctor makes a couple of comments in there about that. Yes, he's not human and he has a lot of bigger considerations that he has to keep in mind, even with all the people, all the dead bodies that are 
kind of flying by the wayside in, in his adventures, uh, but he can't, uh, yeah, he has uh, bigger responsibilities in each individual one. It's also interesting that one line, I guess, that, you know, that where he says that, yes, I'll I'll fight Mestizer and I'll, either she'll kill me or I'll kill her and I don't want to kill her, but it'll be because one of her own traps sort of goes off on her. <laughs> so. Yeah, pretty much like, I'm not going to kill her, kill her, but, you know, if she dies in the process, eh. <laughs> yeah. You um, tricked yourself, Davros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To save Assad from being in the hot seat, I, I've looked it up. It is on the Cloister, on the cloister Library. Yeah, I was just about okay. to tell that. that yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's fine. I wasn't yeah, sure and, where I, I went. I apologize to, to the, find it. <laughs> I apologize as well, because that's probably a conversation we could have had. After we stopped recording, but oh well. I mean, now everybody knows no, where to go. That listeners find can that. also find it. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna go check that out too. I didn't come across that one, and I I often check that. I just didn't happen to not check it this time. So, but um, yeah. So I, anything other interesting? Like I I kind of want to talk a bit about the the if there were any characters or any kind of situations in this book that you thought were interesting that you wanted to touch on before we kind of close this up and move on to the next uh next thing we're going to talk about um yeah kind of open it up to you guys if there's anything else i think honor is really the only character that gets uh fleshed out to a considerable degree even like uh the actual emily is pretty much a cipher at the end of this book um, yeah yeah. Got the whole the girl, the story. girl in the pink pajamas. <laughs> yeah, so, which is uh, a very, very noir touch in its own right, mm -hmm. for that matter. Yeah, yeah I mean, but you know, amnesia, forgotten, yeah. yeah. And again, the dark touch that, uh, a little bit of darkness, the way that her landlady and landlady's brother are apparently treating her. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, char charging admission to come in and have a word with her, essentially. So. Yeah, meeting up, but when she isn't following orders and there's definitely yeah. a implication of um sexual abuse or mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. yeah that was yeah holding stuff. her hostage essentially pretending to be caretakers yeah yeah which is a, a very neo-noir touch you know and the genre kind of had a, its comeback in the 70s and 80s and that's it's very much something that could be a plot point in one of those yeah Definitely those Laurel and Hardy henchmen also seem very uh, out of noir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's it's an interesting novel. It's got a lot of stuff going. We, we, we kind of we, we've talked about it for, you know, uh, 40 minutes or so here. And I feel like we still even though it's only 120 pages, we still kind of just brushed over a lot of the detail. It's a pretty dense I don't want to say it's a dense read, as in it's hard to read. It's fun and and not hard yeah. to read at all. But it's uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on here. It's exciting. It's uh, you're never gonna get bored with this one. I don't think so. Um, yeah, we didn't get really heavily into the the Inferno uh, group, the magician and such. But honestly, it's uh, you know, if you if you're interested in finding out, pick up the book. It's uh, they're just kind of a group of people that are. Also hunting for the doctor, like everybody's out after the doctor. They want to find this guy, and uh, for for their own part, everyone's got their own kind of purpose for for having him. Whether it's to uh, you know 
capture the cabinet or, you know, whatever Walken's um, ambitions for the doctor end up being, because like you said, his final words are, I had always hoped to be saved by you. Um, yeah. So. It certainly tells me that if there's any club I should avoid, it's either named Inferno or Hellfire. Yeah. <laughs> Stay out of those. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, if you guys have any final thoughts, if or um, you don't have any more final thoughts, we'll go ahead and uh, give this thing a grade. Um, didn't have a really like good fun one this time. But we're gonna go out of five time sensitives because it's really the only kitschy thing I could pull out of this one. But um, what do you guys think of uh, Cabinet of Light? I'll go with maybe a three point five time sensitives. I think it's a nice uh, solid read. I'm actually going to give it a full five. Yeah. yeah cool. It is It is by far, with, again, no disrespect to anything that we've reviewed so far, it is the my favorite thing that I've reviewed on this podcast to date. Oh, cool. And I heartily recommend it to anybody who likes Pro's Doctor Who. It's, it's, it's a, it is a unique and very, and very much a standalone piece of work, as, too. So, yeah, mm-hmm. a full five, tens, five time sensitives out of five. Nice, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy like that that you liked it that much, and I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm not sure I'm going to go a full five. I think I'm going to give it a four out of five time sensitives, but I also enjoyed this quite a bit, and I would, I would pretty much recommend it to anybody if you're into reading Doctor, especially if you've, you know, if you've lived in that world of the Virgin novels or read especially the later BBC books as you mentioned. Uh, this is definitely something that'll be right up your alley, and it's it's very committed to to what it is, and it's just a good, brief, fun read, and um, yeah, for as dark as it is, it's, it's, it's interesting. I keep calling it fun, but I think it is. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It, it I flew right through it, honestly. Like, yeah, um, yeah. So I think I'm gonna go four out of five on that one. It's, uh, it was good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So cool. Yeah, I'm glad we got to read that one, and uh, we'll. Um, I don't know if we'll get to any of the other. Uh, I will tell you that the system that I've been using to select things, my my randomizer that uh, I use to to select uh, content for the show or what we're reading only lists these two books because they're the ones with appearances by the doctor. So the time, rest of the Time Hunter stuff is going to fall off of that. Which is a little... I felt like, oh, maybe I need to amend the system so there's a chance it'll come up. I think it was kind of a weird like stroke of you know, um, destiny or whatever that we actually got both of these. And within only a, like you know four or five months of each other, like four or five shows of each other, um, because they're the only two in this entire huge... Um, database of stuff so mm-hmm. um yeah so it's a little disappointing but on my own i certainly am interested in going back and uh reading more of these and we'll see i'll see if i can figure out some way to get them back and another one back on here someday but sure. never know where it'll lead us so we did get a cool opportunity uh that we're going to share with you tonight we're going to do a, a review something else or talk a little bit about something else tonight which we uh, usually only do one thing but um I was approached by a gentleman named Warren Green at uh, BBV Productions and uh, asked if we wouldn't mind checking out some of a recent release of theirs and doing a review on the podcast of it. And he offered to send me some some stuff to look at. And uh, we um, and just asked if we wouldn't mind doing or reviewing it. And um, 
I thought it was a, a fantastic opportunity to to check out something that I've been kind of meaning to check out. I've been aware of their existence for quite a while, and uh, I don't think I've ever really do- dived into BBB. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the history of the company. I know that they did uh, some fan films that were not direct Doctor Who spinoffs, but more um, sci-fi, science fiction films that featured cast members from the Doctor Who um, that had been on Doctor Who, including former doctors and companions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they've done, uh, you know, feature length films. They've done short films. They've done audiobooks. They've done books. They've done all kinds of stuff. So, uh, um, yeah, so just so check out BBB Productions. Uh, they have a website, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, but the one that we are going to talk about now. Uh, is their most recent release that just came out on DVD and available for digital download is The Probe Case Files Volume 2. Hello, Probe Director Giles here. Overworked, underpaid, but still driven to keep our records in the Probe archive up to date. Following the collection of files known as Volume 1, I have gathered further adventures. Enough for a second volume. Let's call it Volume 2. Each case chronicling more of the strange and unnatural. The logs have continued to be recorded regularly by me and now with oversight by my boss, Sir Andrew. For those who doubt the need for Probe's existence, take a further peek behind the curtain and see what goes bump in the night. Giles, out. And, um, yeah, so I'm curious what you guys was this your first uh, are you guys familiar with bbb have you followed any of their series or are you um familiar with their work in any way like you it was just i had heard of them and mm-hmm. I'd seen videos of uh, someone by shadows and air zone solution but never actually seen uh, any of them yeah so now this was the first time that i'd actually seen any of their output so yeah, it wasn't wasn't the most more typical <laughs> of their things, so it's uh, I don't know. It might be difficult to. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting it in, introduction for sure, and I'll, I'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. I think, but yeah, I was fairly well aware of them um, because I came to some of their stuff, particularly Arizona Solution, which again isn't a Doctor Who spinoff, but it has a it had it was made in '93, so it had. Four of the four of the five living doctors of the time there, with the exception of Tom Baker, they'd done a bunch of audio dramas, which I which I had. They were kind of doing stuff. A lot of the when they started, I think they had a lot of the people who ended up going to Big Finish, um, and BBV kind of did its own thing for a while, and they got the the rights to do stuff based on like the weird and the Zygons and stuff, and they kind of. I don't want to say they closed shop for a bit, but they didn't do very much. And then in the last few years, they've kind of made a made a bit of a comeback of which this Probe stuff is part of. And Probe actually was one of their productions that was a Doctor Who spinoff featuring Lynn Shaw mm-hmm. uh, that yep. they did back in the 90s. And Mark Gatiss actually wrote the original four or five tapes they did. Um, and they did get Caroline John back for those, sadly, no longer with us. So it's yeah. something it's something with a very long history that's kind of been it's kind of made a bit of a resurgence in recent years. I, I it's one of my only things that I'm going to you know, that I, I I'm disappointed by this is is that I didn't have a little bit more of a, a background in 
you know, in probe and what, what that was all about. Since, since I watched this stuff, I have then gone back and read about the film and like, and like, Oh, okay. I see what, you know, where this all came from. And there's a, there's a plethora of media on, you know, books, audiobooks and, and, and um, multiple films and stories. And so um, what case files is, is a series of what I would have believed were initially internet shorts or short films um, that, basically abbreviated stories of adventures of, of probe, which is a, um, you know, British government, um, kind of along the lines of a paranormal investigations unit. If I have that correct, I, we don't, I don't actually get in context of, of what we watched here, a, a definition of, of probe, but, um, led by, at least initially by Liz Shaw, or she's a, a founding, one of the founding members of, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> but, um, but what we get is we get a video video diary series uh, from the current leader of Probe, uh, Giles, um, and he kind of walks us through a series of their adventures. Uh, these are kind of side, I believe, if I have all this correct, side anecdotes to other stories. Um, some of them filling in gaps, some of them kind of stories in their own right, uh, but they do reference at least in a couple instances, reference other more complete stories, audio stories and uh, such. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you guys think of the, the, the shorts? Uh, did the format work for you? Did you find the stories to be compelling? Um, yeah. Just, just what are your thoughts? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a bunch of short stories developed, you know, presented as the log. So it's kind of like, I guess a Star Trek episode, which was basically the, captain's log um, <laughs> summarizing things that happened um as with all things some things are some of them are better than others um, um yeah i mean one of the issues was that just a general unfamiliarity with the characters that are there that are being referred to so since so it's probably not the best place to step into um probe yeah, um, they don't necessarily know the relevance. I mean, you can pick up some clues about it, but uh, yeah. uh, you don't really necessarily have any particular connection. Plus, you know, again, since everything is being narrated by one person, you don't have any other way to really connect with any of the other um, personnel of uh, Probe. So, yeah. And there are a lot of other, you know, that there's elements of faction paradox, which I don't really know anything about either, except <laughs> yeah. the yeah, same here. What sound like Sontarans. And um, so, yeah, so some of them are interesting. Some of them a little less. Uh, I think, and with a couple of them, I just had some technical issues of having difficulty hearing the audio, which is a problem yeah. if it's a vlog. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tying in with previous stuff. So I, I mentioned they had done stuff with Zygons, and there's, there's, there's one of the logs is about probe coming into contact with lauren anderson and that's entirely a sequel to their zygon uh movie that they did way back in the tail end of the wilderness years in some respects um so that's kind of where that's coming from so i I was glad to have context and the cyberons which is kind of bbv's take on on the cybermen yeah um 
as well. I assume so, that was kind of a copyright dodge, you know, yeah. calling them yeah. Cyberon because they were, you know, essentially yeah. the same thing. But I I did some reading up on that one at one point. I can't remember the details now. I don't know. I, I I've got a vague memory that there was there was a deal that fell through or something, but they'd already made costumes, so they had to figure out what to do. Um, <laughs> way back in the '90s, and it's it's become a whole thing that's going to this day. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you know, I, I have some familiarity with Faction Paradox, and the thing about Faction Paradox is, is I don't think anybody really understands what Faction Paradox is, um, including Lawrence Miles, who created them. So I think everybody comes to them with their own interpretation. I actually thought that the two Faction Paradox ones were the ones that worked best, yeah. um, particularly the Daylight Savings one, because it, it's it's one of the it's the one where I think that they sort of tapped into the format the best. You know, right. if you're going to do a, a sort of a vlog thing, you know, you want to do something that's very much focused on one person sitting there and doing it. And, you know, fa- Faction Paradox getting up to temporal hijinks. So, you know, the, it, Daylight Savings is, it, for me, I think the best of a lot. And then they do another Faction Paradox one towards the end. I think that the format's kind of an interesting one. But I think, as you said, Assad, it's basically, let's, it, you know, the, the analogy you made to the Star Trek captain's logs, that if you can imagine hearing a, a episode of Star Trek from the captain's log point of view, that's all it is. I do think that, you know, given the lo- thing of the format, it wouldn't have been a bad idea maybe to do them as a series of like Zoom calls between the various mm-hmm. participants involved. And I think you'd get a bit more. You'd maybe get a bit more out of them that way too. There's a, there's a lot of interesting ideas in there. You know, there's there's the one with the thing with the the character who definitely sounds like he's a Santaran in you know everything but name, for example. So it's an interesting format, <laughs> right. but I don't know if it quite works the way it's been handled here. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think, like, story-wise, bare bones, like, down to other interesting ideas, I think almost all of these have an interesting idea. Like, they're good ideas for stories. Um, The presentation is just... And and I get what they're doing. They're, like, web shorts, and it's kind of to get to to build an interest to some of their other media. So it was not a really great piece for me to start on. Like, these are are probably real just... These are probably perfectly good supplemental pieces to something, you know, that would work very well as a special features on a DVD with or something that gives you a little more context. Um, I, I liked your idea of, you know, maybe presenting them as a Zoom call so we could see some other faces and not just illustrations of some of the other characters and such. Um, just even a little bit of stuff like that would have livened it up. In fact, it was exciting uh, the couple moments you got outside of the white wall, whatever white wall he was, you know, doing. When you all of a sudden like saw the cemetery or a building, you're like, ooh, locations. Like, and it's. Uh, <laughs> um, right. But in general, I was impressed with the writing, and I was impressed with the, you know, the. Um, I think that's Bill. Is it Bill Burr? Is that a Bags. Bill, Bill Bags? Yeah, Bill Burr. Somebody else I know. Uh, another. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, Bill Bags is. Uh, I, I I thought he was perfectly, perfectly fine throughout and and very good in places. Uh, just kind of because I mean, I don't envy the task of do it. You know, he's telling these kind of trying to tell compelling like adventure sci-fi stories in the first person where yeah. he's the only image. So it's 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 not a, not an easy job that he uh, does. But I don't know. It's. Like, did you guys have a favorite story? I know you just mentioned Daylight Savings, and that's one that stuck out for me. I really love the idea of stealing the Daylight Savings Hour. I actually had a story idea that was going to do something like that at one point, and I never fin- never really, like, even developed it. But I had a, a, some jottings in a notebook about, uh, yeah, something displacing that extra hour of time to, like, create uh, 
you know, very Doctor Who idea, but create some extra time for people to spend together that, you know, we're separated by death or whatever. But um, so anyway, yeah, it's but I thought that was a cool idea. Best one. Plus, uh, it's, uh, I like the, that instead of doing the fade out or flash out, they do the do a rewind, which is visually also just works out as something kind of creepy to see. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I there's kind of... I don't remember if it was or wasn't. Yeah, I... I had a list here. I'm terrible this week. <laughs> I'm just not, I know not having it together here. Um, by, yeah, most of them seem to have been written by either Bags or... I think it was James Hornsby. Uh, James Hornsby, yeah, Bill Bags. I think that's it for this collection. I think those, those are the two writers that uh, show up, so... Yeah. Uh, Daylight Savings, first... Uh, no, those are from the other set. Daylight Savings is by James Hornby. Um, okay. What other ones were we talking about? The Lauren Anderson ones by the two of them. Um, yeah. I, um, yeah, I don't know. There's some cool stuff here. Uh, Ex-President works as a little bit of a sequel to Daylight Savings, and supposedly there was supposed to be a third piece that was going to tie all that together. Uh, that was... It, this is just based on the reading that I did on... Uh, the uh, wiki TARDIS wiki. So if this is incorrect, um, you know, somebody correct me, but uh, that they bumped off of this collection to make space for the Brigadier uh, plug, which this is a series they're, you know, starting their, their Brigadier series uh, coming up. So, um, which I don't know if that started yet or not at this point. Uh, yeah. They've, they've released a few, uh, a few of those. And I think at least one of them's written actually by one of my pals over at Sea line press. So oh, good. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, the, the other one I got a kick out of that I was I was trying to think of. I'm going through notes on paper here. That's terrible. Um, the uh, Living Fiction, the one where the like Ma, um, Nosferatu, Max Schreck, like a silent movie kind of alien entity, haunted film reel made it like come to life and was stalking the, um, which you know. It wasn't like incredibly technically impressive, but I thought it was creative, a way to tell a story. And they like use a, a film like Nosferatu, which is, you know, in the um, public domain. Yeah. So they just, you know, use use that, you know, creepy vamp- vampire footage and like kind of tell a, a story based around it. And I thought it actually ended up working. Um, so kudos to being creative and making a story kind of work with just kind of using some stock footage from a <laughs> you know public... Uh, domain film and you know a good good writing so that's the thing that i think impressed me the most out of these like they're kind of i think i think i need more context to truly enjoy these things but i appreciate what they are and uh, i appreciate um a lot of the ideas i think there's good kernels of of some good stories here that you know i kind of wish I could see flushed out into like larger pieces i'd like to i'd like to see probe in action and not just the uh you know, Captain's Log version of these stories, but um, which we, which you know, I can I can go and uh, attempt to find those uh, those actual films, like you said, the Mark Gatiss ones, and uh, yeah, so. he's acting in some of them too, so it's interesting. Yeah, to yeah. young Mark Gatiss. <laughs> it's a whole whole new uh, <laughs> bag of worms of Doctor Who spinoff material to like, or can of worms that would be bang. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, to kind of dig into, and I'm, which is always exciting. So, so from that, from that perspective, I, I definitely found it um, 
worthwhile. So, and, and you know, if you get a chance to go and check any of this stuff out, it's available um, on BBV's, BBV's website. Um, I almost always say BBC when I'm trying to say that, and that's... <laughs> um, but BBV's website as a digital download and also as a DVD set, um, you can get a the dual DVD pack of the... Um, probe case files volume one and two which i've only we've only watched the second one here but um and um yeah i su support a company that's doing uh some certainly worthwhile doctor who spin-off material uh big thank you to warren green for reaching out to us to do this i i really appreciate the opportunity and i um thank you for introducing us to bbv and uh um this entire section of the doctor who universe so you guys did you guys have any other um like final thoughts on on probe or what um they have a youtube page so i, I don't know how many things they have up on that but yeah it's another way to get a taste of um, what they have to offer yeah, yeah. well i'm definitely no, going to be it's diving, interesting. diving in a their short stories they're um it's like six, seven, eight minute blocks. Some of them even less. So yeah, some of them, like uh, again, like daylight savings are uh, yeah, it's a fun little way to pass a few minutes. Yeah, kind of bite-sized sci-fi stories like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they work. I I do not think that uh, the way that I watched them was the appropriate way. This is not necessarily something to binge. It's something uh, check out one and then you know go watch something else and come back and check out another. I think they definitely work better that way as short pieces, which yeah. certainly they were intended to be. Yeah, I think we should mention um, for those who are interested, if I'm unless I'm very much mistaken, the very first one is a message to Giles from uh, Sir Andrew at the Ministry. Oh and gosh, yes. Yeah, and Sir yeah. Andrew, if I'm not mistaken, is Simon Fisher Becker. It is Simon yep. Fisher Becker yes. for sure. Yeah, I meant to mention that because I really got a kick out of him showing up in this so yeah yeah, yeah he's a definitely a, a person that um like i did just that i had a, a pleasurable conversation with actually at chicago tardis um a few years back and uh yeah i've yeah, been just kind of following him and his blogging and, and, and the stuff that he does i actually just read his book um uh, my dalek I, i've read it my dalek has a puncture and my dalek has another puncture he has a third book called let zygons be zygons that i have not yet read but intend to i enjoyed them quite a bit like so so i uh i find him to be a very um interesting personality and i was i very happy to see him pop up i didn't really expect it to him to be there so it was cool yeah fun so yeah, if you want to see a little bit of a a true Doctor Who celebrity, now I don't have to cut down on anyone who put hard work into these, but yeah, Simon Fisher Becker is uh, gives a a great little two minute reading in the the intro to this. So. Yeah, I have to say, having done two Shakespeare plays that required me to do soliloquies on stage, doing something, doing an acting piece alone to an audience. A live audience, let alone a camera where you have nothing to react to, is, is one of the hardest things you can do. So I, I will tip my hat to Simon Fisher-Becker and to Bill Baggs both for yes. coming across as well as they do in this. Yeah, uh, Bill Baggs does a pretty phenomenal job with this, to tell you the truth, because it's a lot of just sitting. At, you have a, He has a white wall behind him. He has a camera in front of him, and he's doing this whole thing himself. It's 
And because we can see him, it's a little more than just reading an audio book. I mean, he's not just, you know, reading to you. It's, you know, there's some performance involved. And I think he pulls it off for the most part pretty well. Yeah. So. Yeah, so if any of this sounds interesting to you, please go and check out uh, Probe Case Files Volume 2 from BBB Productions. I know I will, uh, if that's dipping the toe in, I will at least get my entire foot into this at some point. And uh, yeah, really uh, check out BBB with a little more, uh, a little more entirety of what they're they're actually all about. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting way to get into it. It's short, low commitment. Check it out. It's... uh, fun stuff and um yeah thank you again for the opportunity to check that out um up next we uh have to do the most important part of the um show here and that is uh hit the big red button on the randomizer and find out what it is we will be uh reviewing next month uh let me go ahead and push that And it looks like we're going to be looking at another big finish production. This time it's the First Doctor Adventures Volume 5. Um, yeah, First Doctor Adventures Volume 5. It, specifically, I pulled the Hollow Crown, which is the second volume of that. And uh, But yeah, since I, I decided, made the decision that I'm going to, if they come out as box sets, if they're released as box sets, I think we're just going to do the box sets because it's... We're going to have to track them down in their entirety anyway, so why not review the whole thing? Um, I I can't help but laugh because I've had that on my iPod for months, been meaning to listen to it. (laughs) Good. We're just (laughs) knocking stuff out for you left and right here. So introduced you to the Time Hunter, and uh, now we got to get this one cleared off for you. So, but um, yeah, so we hope everybody will consider coming back and joining us for that one. Um, Until then, I'd like to, uh, if you have any feedback or reviews or any comments on anything you hear on the show, please uh, feel free to drop us a line at uh, policeboxpodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter at policeboxpod. And, uh, yeah, love to hear what you think. Any uh, reviews or feedback you give us, uh, we will, if, if you would like us to, we'll go ahead and read on the show as well. Um, we'd love to hear from anybody that uh, really has any comment, uh, anything to say. Um yeah, and other than that, I'd just like to thank you guys once again for for joining us all the way from Pakistan, Assad. So that's uh, <laughs> you win the award yes. for traveling the furthest digitally, I guess yeah. if that counts. At <laughs> uh, this day and age, we're all just uh, click away. That's right. Well, thank you for getting up at some unholy hour, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So that yes, a holiday. Yes, that that's unusual for me. well we appreciate it and matthew as always appreciate you being here um it's always fun to talk doctor who with you guys and i looking forward to uh talking about the first doctor adventures with you next month and uh until until then thank you everybody uh for listening to the police box in the junkyard podcast and uh we'll see you next time bye so long and thanks for all the fish Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends, as always sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it.
Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who Retro Theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger, some of there's injustice, somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. Direct Checkpoint! Direct Checkpoint! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.